One can't stay out of doors all the time. One needs to come in from the cold. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is the Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach, and this is Christian. Hey. And we are doing the Spy Who Came In From The Cold. I've been looking forward to this literally since we started the podcast. Really? Yeah, I love this stuff. This is what I signed up for. All right, all right. I mean, wait, so you've never read nor seen this before? I read the book a long time ago, Mm -hmm. and then I read it again this week just for the cast, but I had not seen the movie. Ah, okay, yeah. No, I saw this, I saw and read it, I'm going to say about, ooh, wow, now now, now that feels like a long time ago, uh, about 15 years ago, 2005 or so. Well, let's see how well you remember it. (laughs) <laughs> so the movie is from 1965, and it stars Richard Burton, an actor who I am not familiar with. <laughs> How about you? Um, not so much. Uh, actually, I'm not. Now I'm gonna think. Like, I mean, I know he is an actor of that period, but I can't name another movie that he's in. As usual, we'll go through the movie, and then we'll do a little spy fact versus fiction. Though in this case, I have differences between the book and the movie. Maybe mm-hmm. Christian has more. And then we'll do our ratings, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. Yeah. So, do you have the IMDb synopsis? Yes, I do. So, the synopsis is as follows: British agent Alec Lamas refuses to come in from the Cold War during the 1960s, choosing to face another mission, which may prove to be his final one. For our intro to the podcast, we like to do the taglines. As sort of our intro thing, though we've been getting away from that lately. And according to IMDb, the taglines of this movie are absurd. So I'm going to read a few of them for you. So first of all, they're in all caps. I won't, like, shout them, but I'll I'll do what we call stage shouting, which is where you shout. Okay, here we go. Here's number one. Brace yourself for greatness. (laughs) Number two. The man who knows all the dirt. Sheer and naked. (laughs) Number three. The book the world could not lay down is now a motion picture. And then finally, the UK theatrical, it plunges you knife deep, knife deep, excuse me, into actual espionage. It gives you the dirt as well as the dazzle. Here's excitement, sheer and naked and unforgettable. So what I find fascinating about this is that, so what is 1965? So this is after the first three Bond movies have already come out. And the contrast between say thunderball which came out the same year and this is immense mm-hmm. absolutely there's an introduction in the book which was written well after it came out in the mm-hmm. sort of modern era by lacare and he says that in a lot of ways his book was not meant not intended as a response to bond but it came out in a world where people just couldn't get enough of bond hmm and the contrast is huge. But I wonder if the taglines were just made up by the marketing team. I mean, it could be, yeah. <laughs> I think the major thing I like about this is both the book and the movie are just full of atmosphere. Hmm, a, very true. A world of, like, shadows where everyone's kind of a crappy person. And <laughs> both, you know, you can't tell the difference between right or wrong. And it's atmospheric in a way that none of the other movies we've covered so far even valkyrie valkyrie probably comes the closest really? but it still isn't quite there i think all right all right 
So uh, with that in mind, do you want to you want to jump right in? Let's get let's get this yeah. going. So we start off at Checkpoint Charlie. There's a very long title scene, like and just like a title scene, not in the Bond sense, but literally just us like looking at Ali and all the credits. Mm-hmm. And here's where we meet Alec Lamas, who is the uh, Berlin uh, station chief. Right. And as we meet him, he's watching as he's waiting for one of uh, his agents to come across the wall. Mm-hmm. There's and, an American agent there who's like, it, he's not going to come here tonight. Maybe he'll come tomorrow. You can come back. And uh, to which Lemus or Lemus? Lemus. I think it's Lemus yeah. says, agents aren't airplanes. They don't travel <laughs> on schedules or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he takes a drink of liquor mm-hmm. to, to, help, to help him wait. So we get the sense that he's sort of almost burned out, at least at this point in time. Well, he definitely comes off as a cynical, world-weary person. He almost doesn't even need to say anything for you to get the picture about who he is, right. which I, I definitely appreciate. <laughs> we, we get to see sort of the Berlin Wall in action, also during mm-hmm. this opening scene, and he notices that there are more guards this time walking mm-hmm. the line than there usually are. Hmm. But eventually, his agent shows up with a bicycle, mm-hmm. goes through, gets it, gets his passports cleared. But while he's about to cross the final line, suddenly, and it uh, is sudden, like I was like yeah. startled. I was like startled <laughs> when the when the alarms go off and spotlights shine. And then the agent gets well. The alarms go off, and he they, are, they start shooting at the agent. And I did appreciate how he tries to go in like a serpentine pattern with the bike to try to get <laughs> avoid getting shot. But nope, he gets shot and falls basically at Limas's feet. And then oh, one, one quick thing I forgot to mention was that he talks to a couple of uh, West German guards there. And he said, can you provide covering fire to people coming over the wall? And they say, no, we can only fire if we've been fired upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, I, I thought was... Very interesting. I mean, given the very tense situation at the Berlin Wall, I can ima- I can understand why, but that's just like a very interesting uh, justification. They actually say if we start shooting at them, we could start a war, which would be a nuclear <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. war. Mm-hmm. But I also it it's also very fill it, it fits the theme of the movie of like people mm-hmm. are like it's not our problem and we don't want to get involved. <laughs> the agent dies. He falls down. We see a reaction shot of Lemus. And then, boom, the scene changes, like, immediately mm-hmm. to, to we get old school Trafalgar Square, mm-hmm. <laughs> London, England, and he's going to meet Control, which is the movie's equivalent of M. Right, right. And I also did notice that, you know, well, I think we get a shot of him flying, and it's on Pan Am. So, last week we covered a movie which had TSA. This, year, this week it's Pan Am. So, yet another very retro airline that no longer exists. I mean, when people say things like TWA or Pan Am, it certainly conjures up an image of a decade. Yeah. <laughs> right up there with fashions. <laughs> yeah. So as he goes in and meets control, you know, they basically they have a briefing and. So, so they were like, okay, listen, this guy who was killed, this agent who was killed, is named Carl Remick, and he was the last agent we had in East That's Berlin. That's right, yeah. He's, so we, we have nothing. And the man who's been killing all of our agents is named Munt. Mm-hmm. Lemus has a personal grudge against him for killing all of his friends. 
So even though Control wants him to, to stop, they have one last mission, liquidate Munt. And that's an exact quote, is they, <laughs> they use liquidate. So they, they want to take him out. One last, but it, so Lemus has one last thing to do. They, they, they also talk a little bit here about like their philosophies. Mm-hmm. So Control is like, the democracies, the West, we've pledged never to go on the offensive, to always be defensive, but that doesn't mean we can't be ruthless. Right. We can't be less wicked than our enemies, <laughs> which of course is one of the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want to talk about these deep, biting questions, but that is something that will recur. I mean, I don't know that I have any answers, really. <laughs> there are no answers. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, so So basically, the point is, they're setting up that they're going to do a plot mm-hmm. and the plot's going to get ugly. People are going to get hurt. Right. And he sends Lemus on his way. And then in the next scene, Lemus is on his way to the unemployment office. Yep. So it looks like a, basically an unemployment office. And it's, so you have, you know, he goes into the, in there and they're calling people's names. And once they call call his name, he goes up to the, you know, the assistant or the aid worker basically, and have languages. I, but I, I don't really know what, you know, what what kind of job can you give me? I just need something that pays me. And so you go through a couple of different options, and the one that come he ends up with is a library job. And we're, and so he goes into the library. We have it sorted by author and by and by title, but now you also need we're also categorizing categorizing them by subject matter. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting, like, all right, no, no Dewey Decimal System here yet. Well, they're getting there. So yeah. I should say a couple of things. First, it's not just any library. It's like a paranormal psychic library. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. I forgot that. Like, I remember that later on, or later on the movie, they talk about, you know, where did werewolves go under? So I have no idea why it was like a psychic library. Why couldn't it just have been a normal library? I, I, I thought about it, and I can't make heads or tails yeah. of it. Lost also, you. Also, one thing I wanted to mention is that in this scene, before he goes to the unemployment office, there's an establishing shot of the outside, and there's a newspaper, and the headline of the newspaper is London Murder Hunt. So going by what we talked about in America Made last week, how nothing is in a movie accidentally, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's more establishing that there's going to be murder and there's going to be a hunt. While he's at the library, we learn that he has a really good memory because there's a part where the head librarian is like telling him a bunch of names and he remembers them all immediately after being told them once. Mm-hmm. And that he has like a sarcastic wit. <laughs> Which I appreciated. Like, yeah, like I think someone says, do you drink? Or she says, How do your, how's your handwriting? And he says, it's good except on the weekends. <laughs> uh, while he's there, he also meets Nancy Perry. Mm-hmm. who we just know as Mrs. Perry or Nan. We don't find out her full name of Nancy until much later, I believe. It's, all, it's also it's Ms. Perry. Oh, Ms. Perry. Perry. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. That, that's kind of important. Uh, there's also a brief scene where he goes to the grocer, get gets some groceries, and the grocer kind of gives him a hard time about, about it when Levis mm-hmm. wants to be put on the bill. But eventually mm-hmm. he does let him. And did you recognize that grocer? Should I have? He's played by Bernard Lee, who uh, plays M in the first, what, 13 or so Bond movies, basically up all the way up through Moonraker. And this would have been before most of those. Mm -mm, This is right in the middle of it. Well, I feel like I probably should have recognized him then. 
Well, he did have a mustache, so he looked a little different. Although well, it's hard apparently, to tell black and white. Apparently, mustaches are pretty effective disguises. As I wonder if that's going to come up later. later. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy asks him over for dinner. Mm-hmm. In the scene where they're having dinner, she asks him what he believes in, and he laughs. <laughs> She's like, what? Don't you believe in God? Don't you believe in communism or democracy or something, something, something? So this is where we find out that Nancy is a communist or a member of the Communist Party, yeah. <laughs> the British Communist Party, yeah. And right. Lemus finds this funny, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's on, like, I think she has, like, a little poster on her wall about, you know, stopping war and all that stuff. So, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So he also, in response to her question about what do you believe in, he says, I believe the number 11 bus will take me somewhere, and I don't believe that Father Christmas will be driving it. So <laughs> he either is or he's pretending to be someone who's totally disaffected and totally out of it. Yeah. And I, I think someone who's not paying attention would think that he has quit the British Secret Service. Yeah. Yeah. So like we later. have no reference to, as to why he's, you know, why why he doesn't have a job anymore. Why is he working in this library? We're just sort of left to wonder this on our own. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, they, they do mention briefly, we have one more thing we want you to do. But I guess you wouldn't necessarily think that that one thing would be a whole crazy mission. Right. Taking a lot of time. So then he tells a story about a station wagon. Like, was it like a dream that he had or something? Um, do you remember this? I do not. Okay, well, I'll mention it later. You can cut off. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we may mention it later. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So then he goes back to see the grocer and he's being a okay. huge jerk. Lima says, not the grocer. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he gets into a big fight with the grocer and he also appears to be drunk. Yes. When he's doing it. Um, mm -hmm. So he's like, you know, and he, well, he, I like, I kind of liked how he very purposely picked this fight. So he goes into the grocer. Um, and as the grocer, you know, he's dealing with another customer who's happened to be Italian. They're done. He's done. The grocer's done with them. He's like, you know, cash or credit. And they're off, put it on the credit. And previously we had found out that he wouldn't, uh, the grocer wouldn't give Lemus our line of credit with the store. And so he he starts grabbing all this bunch of stuff, including caviar and some fancy. What was it? It's like Italian tomato sauce, pasta or something sauce, like that. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Italian couple comments on the Italians' pasta sauce, and then so he even he draws the race card and says, you know, oh, if an if, if an Italian you know, can have credit, how come an Irishman can't? Right. So he's being really aggressive, and then it escalates to assaulting, punching yeah. the, the grocer. Which, again, with the context of this being you know, played by the guy who played M, is like, wow, British agent beating up M. That's kind of weird. But James Bond's dreamed about doing it so many times. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah so, so this gets him arrested, mm -hmm. and he's put in wood scrubs. Now, other than the indicator like of Traf well, Trafalgar earlier in the movie... After that, we have no real indication of where he like if is because I remember that you know part of this takes place in Berlin, and I'm like, wait, when he's going to the job office, is he in Berlin or is he in London? I had no idea. Well, he's definitely in England, hmm. but as to where in England, yeah, I, well, I, so, I, I didn't in, just in my mind, I didn't actually remember where he was, and I, other than the mention of Wormwood Scrubs, at this point, that's when I realized, oh, he's definitely in England. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
he spends basically no time in jail, at least no yeah. on-screen time. Right. He, when he leaves jail, Nancy is waiting for him, and mm. so is a new mysterious guy. Yes. Who is uh approaches him and um he whose name is escaping maybe i was his name is ash ash that's right yes mm -hmm. so ash like stalks nancy on on the bus mm -hmm. or or that is to say he looks like he's going to get on the bus but then doesn't follow her but he he effectively recruits lemus and they have lunch together where he try where he recruits him further right it, that's when it becomes obvious that he's not, you know, part of a charity organization. That he's actually an age, an agent of uh, Soviet intelligence or mm -hmm. East German intelligence. We're not really sure at this point. And this but, is where the heat of the movie is. Where this movie is just people sitting or walking <laughs> and talking. I hope Don't you enjoyed that action at the Berlin Wall at the beginning because that's like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're forgetting it. This is all taking place in like a burlesque club, if I, or something. Well, that's that's a little that's slightly that's a little bit later. Oh, that's right. That's the right. Burlesque club is later. Uh, this this is like just in a restaurant. So, uh, so after they have that meeting, Lemus takes a bus to a taxi to a house, and inside right. the house is George Smiley, yeah. whom John Lecaire fans may know. Mm -hmm. but this George Smiley definitely does not look like Gary Oldman. <laughs> no. So in this scene, they explain the plan again, just for the audience who mm -hmm. might not understand what's going on. They explain that the idea is they're going to use this guy named Fiedler who wants to bring down Munt. They're going to get Lemus to pose as a defector to get incriminating evidence against Munt. Mm -hmm. did, I, did I miss anything there? No. Nope. Smiley also mentions the girlfriend, Ms. Perry. Mm -hmm. Lima says, leave her alone. And then now we have the uh, burlesque show. Scene. That's right. So what I found interesting was that this is the this is the time where you get the most Bond-esque music. And of course, it's in the burlesque club. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's that sounds like James Bond music, weirdly enough. <laughs> so I wonder if that was a commentary on this part of the uh, of the uh, composer. <laughs> Well, maybe. I feel like if they were making this movie with James Bond in mind, we would have seen more of it besides mm. just that. Maybe it's just 60s music makes you think it of James It could Bond. also just be 60s music, yeah. <laughs> I also liked how the nightclub was very racially and gender mixed. I, I did notice that, yeah. That was uh, surprising, actually. So in the in the burlesque club, we meet Ash's next, next level up, mm -hmm. which is a, a guy named Carlton. Mm -hmm. And Ash kind of reveals himself to be kind of a pathetic, kind of whingy, whiny character, mm -hmm. which which is always tough to see. Yeah. Lemus stands up to Carlton. He's like, he's like, if you want me to help you, you better not try and push me around. <laughs> he, he also mentions again that he doesn't want Nancy to be implicated in anything that's going on. Right. Carlton explains that the next step is they're going to go to Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. Right. They go. Uh, they definitely yes, go to Holland. Okay, no, it's fine. So, so they, they go to Copenhagen on a plane called the Flying Dutchman. <laughs> Very amusing. At passport control, he learns his passport is due to expire in eighteen days. Mm -hmm. And he says he'll be back in two weeks. So, just cutting it very close. Right. They, this is not a difference, but they explain in the book. Lemus realizes that because his passport is going to expire so recently, that means he can't just like book it and just like uh. leave and ditch. 
these mm-hmm. Soviet these Soviet guys. As that was done intentionally. Hmm, interesting. So he expl- so he gets interrogated by Carlton. This is his first interrogation. He talks about Operation Rolling Stone, where they moved mm-hmm. money to Copenhagen and Helsinki. Just mm-hmm. I'm kind of kind of moving along. They yeah. move money to pass to another agent in the Soviet Union, and he doesn't know who the agent is. He just knows that his codename was Mr. Zebold. Mm-hmm. Mr. Zebold would go to these cities, take out the money, and then there you go. Mm-hmm. At this point, I wasn't actually sure if this was real information or if this was uh, information that he was told to pass along or told that he could actually reveal. Like, I was very curious, like, wh- how much of what he was saying was real and how much was, you know, misinformation. It's a, it's a but, good question, and I cannot answer it. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> I mean, we've we've read the book and seen the movie, and they don't answer the question. or They don't make it clear one way or the other, I should mm-hmm. say. Okay, so then we cut back to London, Smiley goes to see Nancy. They talk about Fiedler. He says he's good at his job for a Jew. There's a, yeah, there's a little, lot of, lot of, uh, anti, well, not a lot, but there's I, some anti Semitism. Just calling a Jewish person a Jew, I would not say is anti Semitism. But just, saying good at a job for it. a Jew. They just, well, yes, that part, yes. that, that one, this one comment, yes, but the other ones, not so much. But they just keep doing it. Yeah. It's like, yo. Enough already. <laughs> we get back to Lemus. Lemus, he's Fiedler. That might have been when he makes the comment about he's good at his job right. for his Jew. I, I think for a Jew. I think Carlton said that. Fiedler tells him off, and then Fiedler and Lemus discuss Remick. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was for those of you who may have forgotten. He was the guy who was shot on the bicycle in the beginning. Right. Lemus says that he ran all of the agents in East Berlin. Mm-hmm. So this is where we start to get the i we start to get an idea of what the plot actually is, like how the plot is actually gonna be carried out. Mm-hmm. Like, where, like how they're gonna get Mont. Yeah. So this is what basically Lemus very cleverly starts planting the seeds that uh, that Mont is actually a British agent. That's right. And does it when I say very cleverly? He does it. He gives him enough. Gives uh. Fiedler enough information to come to the conclusion on his own, and yet keeps vehemently denying the fact that he could be. And you know, says multiple times, "How could you know if if uh, if Munt was an agent? I would know. I ran every single agent in uh, in Berlin." And apparently, this gets the idea that Control is actually the one who's personally been running Munt. Right behind Lemus's back. Mm-hmm. But so th- these scenes are exactly why I know I can never be a spy. By the way. <laughs> Because oh, I would no. not be able to handle the pressure because you're behind enemy lines mm-hmm. and you have to keep all of these lies straight. <laughs> and you know that if you mess up, then you're like dead. Right. It's like, yeah, that's because that, so even like these burnt out old guys are still real, real sharp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real sharp than I could be. <laughs> so also in this scene, Fiedler goes after Lemus again for not having a philosophy. He says, quote, mm. you have to have a philosophy. And Lemus is like, no, I don't. <laughs> They also talk, he also signs letters to the banks in Copenhagen mm-hmm. and Helsinki being like, hey, I right. didn't receive the money. Can you make sure that it was that it was sent? Mm-hmm. We also have a scene where Nancy gets a free trip to the USSR. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? Right. How coincidental. Oh, it wasn't to the USSR, it was to Berlin, wasn't it? Well, it was to East Berlin. It was definitely, yeah. definitely a communist country. Yeah, yeah. 
That's right, because when she's telling the uh, chief librarian, he's, she's asked to you know get get her use all of her vacation time now, and she went to you know Berlin, and then she mentions it was specific city and says, "Isn't that in the east?" And she's like, "Yes, well, okay, well, let's just not tell him. Just say, say it, you're just going to Berlin." Yeah, great decision. I'm sure that won't go wrong. <laughs> okay, so then. Lemus gets jumped in his hotel room by a bunch of gu- by a bunch of guards slash thugs, and they mm-hmm. bring him to Munt. Mm-hmm. Munt gives him whiskey and gives him a short interrogation before being arrested himself. Mm-hmm. And then we jump to the trial, which is like the best part of the movie. Yeah, so we have this big big trial going. Well, it's not even a trial. They specifically say it's a, this is not a trial. This is a tribunal. Eh, it's a trial. Close enough. Someone's found guilty. Someone's pronounced not guilty. It's a trial. Yeah, but well, but the difference they spell out is that with this tribunal, they can decide whose testimony they want to account for and who, which witnesses they want to listen to. And so it's and it's all what they're you know up to the tribunal. Yeah. Yeah, the the tribunal of of judges. I mean, they are judges, even if yeah. they don't want to be called that. So Feeler testifies, accuses Mont of being a British agent. Mm-hmm. And it has been this whole time. And he mentions that Munt was in Britain doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Britain was blocking, the British were like blocking off the roads, blocking off the airplanes, blocking off the seaports. But Munt gave out his name and photo. Yeah, but somehow Munt was able to escape or they let him go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also talks about how Remick was an agent for Britain, but then Munt was his superior. So if Remick was in it, if Remick was a traitor, how could Munt not know? But it would make perfect sense that if Remick was a spy, then Munt right. would also be a spy and covering for him. And apparently Munt was also the person who promoted him to that position and was able mm-hmm. to shield him from any suspicion. So they make a pretty convincing case, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Yeah, and we, it's it's all very... You know, I'm at this point, even though I know that uh, Lemus was sent there to create this false case against Munt, it's pretty convincing. And I'm like, wow, he did a really good job. Maybe I didn't read the book closely enough the first yeah. time around. But if I, the way I remember it, maybe our readers to listen is they did not spell out the plot. So we're going into the trial when I first read it, I thought it was yeah. all legit. <laughs> So when the when the twist comes up later, I was like, boom. Mm-hmm. It like totally worked for me. <laughs> okay. So then yeah, Fiedler yeah. is done. Mm-hmm. And then Munt's lawyer takes the stand. He says that Fiedler was either was either intending to send Munt up the river or was being tricked into framing him. Mm-hmm. And he interrogates Lemus. Lemus denies having known Smiley mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. But then the pro, we'll call them the pro month side, have witnesses too, and they bring in Nancy. Yeah, and Nan is very confused why she's there, and you know keeps trying to talk, you know, talk, ter- talk and turn to Lemus, and you know, of course, once she she gets brought in, Lemus like, no, what's she doing here? She doesn't know anything. Leave her out of this. Mm-hmm. Tribunal is very clear that you know if if you keep trying to talk to her uh, or or she keeps trying to talk to you, we're going to remove you and deal with you. Right. So they ask Nancy about her financial situation, and she basically has very little money, which makes yeah. sense because she works at the psychic library. <laughs> and 
they ask her how much she pays in rent. And she says, oh, I don't pay any rent. I mm-hmm. own a lease. And they said, how is that possible? She said, someone bought it. Someone bought her a thousand pound lease from a bank called uh, Bat and Rodney or something like that. Uh, Whatever yes. the name of it is. It was previously so, established to be a bank that the British intelligence used. Exactly. Yeah, that's the bank that uh, that uh, Lamas used when he was sending out those checks. Yes. So, so they're like, well, British intelligence paid for your apartment. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, has anyone come to see you recently? She said, yeah, we've seen some friends of Lemus. They were like, he doesn't have any friends. You just said he doesn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. What was the friend's name? And she doesn't want to say, but they keep pressing her until she says... And said, smiley. Right. <laughs> so Lemus comes clean. He explains the whole plot. He mm-hmm. explains that British intelligence was trying to frame Munt because Munt kept killing their agents and they relied on Fiedler to be their, like, attack dog. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Fiedler comes, you know, is like, wait, what are you saying? You realize what you're saying? And you're, you're, you're defending him. You're letting him off the hook. You know, he's London's man, and you're just making it sound like he's not. And then the tribunal just says, Comrade Fiedler shall be taken taken under custody. Right, and then they say Lemus and the girl are under arrest, which is, mm-hmm. this is something I don't like in old movies, mm-hmm. how there is the male character and then the girl. Huh. I hate yeah. that stuff. In I this occasion, it. though... I mean, because she's kind of a nobody in all of this. I can kind of understand it. Well, in this particular case, sure. But you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. So towards the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, when Indiana Jones miraculously escapes death, and then he shows up, this is like almost at the very end, and he has the Panzer Shrek anti-tank gun. He points at the Ark, and he's like, you guys can keep the Ark. All I want is the girl. girl. Oh. It's like, yo, she's standing right there. <laughs> she has a name. Uh-huh. Do you mind? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, why don't they just have the screenwriter be like, you guys can keep the Ark. Just let Marion go. Would that have been so bad? <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. All right, all right. So so getting back to the movie. Yeah. They also keep calling Fiedler the Jew, which I do not appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Well... I mean, I thought in the communist system, all all were brothers and sisters, and all were one, and you know, there yep. was no everyone is equal. Mm-hmm. Except obviously, that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so they get put under arrest, but then almost immediately, Mont helps them escape. Yeah, and this is where we learn the big twist. Mm-hmm. That Mont really is a British agent, and that the whole operation, which Lamas did not know at all was basically to keep him from being caught because Fiedler was getting too close to the truth. Yep. And so it was a whole, it was a whole double blind operation to send in Lamas to convince East German authorities that that uh, that Lamas or that Lamas that Fiedler. I mean, all them, Fiedler was wrong and then Munt was you know loyal to their party. His job was to go into East Berlin to convince Fiedler to come for the king. And if you come for the king, you best not miss. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it's this whole plan is like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's something that I feel like could only work in fiction because so many things could have gone wrong. But, and of course they talk about that later. Right. Like, like, what, the next scene they're in the car and she's like, well, what about love? Like, how do they know we would fall in love? 
and he he says, you know, we made it easy for them. Basically, we were we made it easy for them to use us. Mm -hmm. I I also like. There's a bunch of really good lines in this mm -hmm. part. One of which will be my favorite line later. All right. One of them is, is I like where he's like, "Okay, fine, stop asking. Kill the Jew. Now you know. God help us both." Uh, I, I mean, the Jew part isn't great, but I like. The, I think the rest of it's cool. I like. I like. Right. God help us both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Munt sends them to. Uh, so sends them in a car, which I was surprised it wasn't a Trabant. It didn't look like a Trabant to me. No, I don't think it was. Yeah, but I thought that you know Trabants were like the only car you can find in East Germany. Are they though? I mean, or, I know that they're really common in East Germany, but does that make them the only car that people have? Pretty much, as far as I as I was led to believe. Well, you got to keep in mind, though, that these Intel guys probably have, like, the best cars. Oh, that's true. That's true, too. Yeah. They're not going to get what the common people get, despite the claims of equality in the Soviet Union. <laughs> the high-placed government officials do not get Trabans, I don't think. Yeah. But yeah, so they send Lamas and Nancy over a complicated route to get to the Berlin Wall and to or, and to find to um, this boy. They call him the boy. Will tell you how to get across. Mm -hmm. And so they pick up the the, the soldier who's going to help them get across. As you know, they drive and they dr get to through the East German side of the wall. Mm -hmm. And he tells it that the signal for you to go across will be the spotlight will stop moving and and will not and so you want to go straight and there'll be a way to get across. So this was telegraphed earlier in the movie a line that I also thought was cool. I'm not mm -hmm. sure why where the guys where one of the soldiers on the west side is like there are still some places where you can climb. Hmm. Ah, I didn't catch that. Good, good catch, good catch. Well, it's in the book, too, which makes yeah. it memorable. So the fact yeah. that there's this guy here and then there's a guy operating the spotlight indicates that there's like a whole network that mm -hmm. Munt uses to get these people back over, unless they weren't told who these people are. Probably not. They could have they could have been told that they're spies. That I I feel like it was more of just, all right, Munt was telling them, all right, ignore these. These are I need them for an operation or something like that. I mean, it's a totalitarian society and he's right. highly ranked. He'd probably be like, these people need to go over and you don't need to know why they're going over. Okay, so so the signal goes, Lemus and Nancy go, he climbs, she climbs after him. But mm -hmm. then... The spotlight comes right back around, mm -hmm. right on them. So I wasn't clear about this. Was that the same guide? Who, it looked, who has the I, have, I have the same note down too. Okay. I yeah. just, it looked like the same guy. But they you know, they're on, all in uniforms, and you really, it's really hard to tell. But it looks like the mm -hmm. guide who sent them across is the one who shoots Nancy. It, it does look like that, yes. Yeah. Nancy gets shot. He's at the top of the wall. Smiley's on the other side, waving at him and saying, Jump, Mr. Lemus, come on. On top of the wall and like basically at the crossroads. And he's looking over, looks at one side, looks at the western side. And then looks back at the eastern side with Nan's body at the bottom. And mm -hmm. he goes down. Like climbs back down onto the east side to you know get to Nancy's body, and as he's climbing down, there's a voice on the megaphone saying, "Go back to your side, Lemus." Mm -hmm. Go back, Mister Lemus. Go back. Yeah. And when he doesn't, he gets shot too. Mm -hmm. And that's like the end of the movie. <laughs> it's like shot. He falls over. Bam. The end. Wow. Yeah. It's brutal. It's kind of depressing, but it's. Yeah, so it really, it really gives, like I said, the counterpoint to the Bond movies. 
mm-hmm. of the sort of dark, depressing business of spies. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's like I said, it's atmospheric. The whole movie is, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't even, well, we'll talk about it in, in a little bit later, how his, what he actually, despite his claims, he doesn't have a philosophy, he does. Mm-hmm. And the philosophy is that people suck. <laughs> so do you think that Munt killed them? I think that Munt killed Nancy because she's the only one, she's the only civilian who could tell people. Okay. I could see that. Doesn't and he, think, doesn't he yeah. also say Lemus goes up first and then pull Nancy after him? I don't remember. That may have been in the book. I mean, Sorry, it might be in the book, that. so that might have been the Yeah. But so, yeah, so I, that, that that's what I think it could have been is that yeah, so that you know he tells Lemus or Lemus that uh, that you know yes the girl will go free, but then you know she's a loose end. And also I noticed that uh, what's that Smiley didn't seem to be too surprised about Nan getting shot. Well, we don't get to see his reaction. True, true. But I mean, but, the, but when he's just saying like jump, you know, you know jump, come on over. He doesn't sort of try to. I like part of me wonders. Did he know about it too? Well, isn't there a part where Lemus is like Smiley sees us as disposable? Smiley mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. all of them. We're just cogs yeah. in a big machine. That's, and that's why I got that impression. Us. Yeah, I like ambiguous endings, just in general, <laughs> but especially in movies like this one. All right, all right. So, is it time for spy fact versus spy fiction? Mm-hmm. So, because there's because of course this is a fictional movie. Right. You don't want to spy facts in fiction. Thing I've got is that mm-hmm. well, so in the Lacare novels, he always refers to uh, MI6 as, or the British Secret Service as the circus, mm-hmm. which is not something, as far as I'm aware of, is not something that they, they actually ever called themselves. And oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. And in the head, the head of you know the circus is known as Control. In the James Bond mo- movies, he's known as M, but in real life, he's known as C. Okay, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, so it's actually um, from the very first director general of MI5 or MI6, whose name is so he yeah he was the first director of the secret intelligence MI6, whose name was Mansfield George or Smith Cumming, which okay. is you know oh, so a heck of a heck of a name. So yeah. that's where the C comes. So he would sign his letters or his anything that he sent out in green ink with the letter C. Why didn't and, they just make up a code name? Mm, well, the, um, well, so after that, every other uh, director came in and called themselves C. Nice. Any, anything else? Or can I jump no, into book versus movie? For, that's for, uh, for, for actual spy fact versus spy fiction. Yeah. Here's book versus movie stuff. There aren't any major differences, but there are a bunch of minor ones that I think are interesting. So, okay. first of all, Remick. The beginning with Remix death before mm-hmm. he goes over and gets killed. A blonde woman in a car goes uh-huh. before, and she's revealed to be named Elvira, aka what? Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, no one named Elvira has ever been a hero in fiction, as far as <laughs> I can tell. And she was Remix mistress, and Lima says he told he told her everything. She blew the network, and she got him killed. Oof. And of course, this establishes that women as a weakness for spies, then mm. Nancy becomes his weakness later, gets him killed later at the wall, just like Remick. So speaking of women, Nancy in the book is named Liz Gold. Mm-hmm. She is Jewish. Oh. And, and that comes up a lot because she sees a little bit of like Jewish solidarity between her and Fiedler. 
Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, when he is in England, the order of events are different. So, like, oh, he yeah. does a few different jobs before going to the library. Uh-huh. He gets into a fight with a grocer after getting sick. So, he like, there's a point where he gets sick for, like, two weeks and Liz yeah. takes care of him. Oh, okay. And they get together. Like, they're together longer. They're mm, in a relationship okay. longer. Mm-hmm. So, it makes more sense that she's, like, totally devoted to him. Mm. And because like in the in the movie, I felt like they weren't together that long. No. So it seems weird that he's willing, you know, to do so much. Mm-hmm. So so they get together, he gets in a fight with the grocer, then he goes to jail, then Ash recruits him like pretty much immediately after that. Okay. All right. Well, but that's that's important because he says to Liz goodbye. Mm. And then goes to get in a fight with the grocer. And then at the trial, they're like, Well, why would he say goodbye unless he was planning to get in a fight if he was planning uh... to go to jail? Interesting. All right. So, so it's like part of the part of their case against him. Yeah. So he mentioned the dream with a station wagon where he sees a station wagon with a bunch of kids get in a car accident. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? I, do, I don't think that was in the movie. It, 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 was, it was, but it was really? It was I do not remember that. Yeah, one of these really long dialogue scenes. Uh. Wait, in, in the book, it's real, but the, the kids in the car don't get killed, but he almost hits them and like traumatizes oh. him. Wow. And then okay. in, in the uh, at the end when he gets shot, the last thing he sees is like the faces of the kids in the station wagon again. Um, oh. Lemus's physical background is different. He's described yeah. as short and in his fifties. Mm, okay. Whereas in the movie, he's taller than Control and he's taller than Nancy. And mm. in the in the newspaper, his age is thirty nine. Huh. All right. I I think these differences are just to make him more photogenic, Hollywood right. right. leading yeah. man. Mm-hmm. And then the last, the last one I have is that when Munt kind of grabs him mm-hmm. in the book, there's an actual fight scene, which is crazy. Uh. No action in the book or the movie, but he like shuts off the lights, makes like an mm-hmm. improvised weapon with like a match book. Like he sticks a bunch of matches in his uh. fist. And then when a guard tr- and he like lays a, a, puts a chair in the middle of the room and because all the lights are off, it's like a trap. So then when the guard comes to get him, he trips over the chair and he like hits him and he lays like a like a Liam Neeson throat punch <laughs> and kills the guard. Whoa. Yeah. So then later when he's on the trial, they're like, you're on trial for being a British spy, but also for murder. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And all of that in 200 pages. Well, I don't know if it's 200 pages. The point is that it's really short. I joke that you could almost read the book in the time it takes to watch the movie. That, that's not quite true, but it is short. Mm-hmm. From what I found out, the reason that they changed the name from Liz Gold to Nan Perry in, in mm-hmm. the movie is so that the is because the producers are worried about the potential confusion in the media with Burton's the, uh, Burton, as in Richard Burton, who played Alec Lamas, his then wife was Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, so just the fact that her name would also be Liz were would cause confusion to the media, apparently. Mm-hmm. Even though I, now we have shows where literally it's you know like say Roseanne or uh, I'm trying to think of other Seinfeld. examples, yeah, Seinfeld where it's literally their names. It's always in Philadelphia, and my personal favorite is Supernatural, where one of the characters who's named was named Sam, but in Gilmore Girls he also played a character named Dean, whose name of his brother on Supernatural. <laughs> So one last, I'm sorry, one last thing I forgot yeah. to mention before. So, you know, I talked about like Jewish solidarity between Liz right. and Fiedler. So in the book, 
Lizard Fielder like actually interact and he's nice oh. to her. He's, oh. he's like nice to her. So uh-huh. later when she's like, oh my God, he's, you know, you have effectively killed him, mm-hmm. but he was nice to me. So uh, it makes more sense that she would be more broken up about Fiedler dying, even though he's a damn dirty commie. But so is she. Yeah, but she's not a spy. She's uh, she's not part of the game. Like, uh, I think there's, there's a point yeah. where Lemus is like, we all play the game. Fiedler gambled and he lost. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's too bad that he died, but he, he knew what he knew what he was in for when he signed up. Right. <laughs> all right. So shall we get to our favorite quotes? Uh, yeah, why don't you go first, because mine's a little long. Oh. I feel like we may have the same favorite quote, then. Okay. What the hell do you think spies are? Moral philosophers measuring everything they do against the word of God or Karl Marx? They're not. They're a bunch of seedy, squalid bastards like me. Little men, drunkards, queers, henpeck husbands, civil servants playing cowboys and Indians to lighten their rot- brighten their rotten little lives. Do you think they sit like monks in a cell, balancing the right, right against wrong? Yesterday I would have killed Munt because I thought him evil and an enemy. But not today. Today is evil and my friend. Nice. That that was what I was gonna pick. But I, <laughs> but, I but I do but I do have a backup one. Alright, alright. So he says all that. Mm-hmm. Nancy calls him out and he said, Sure, Munt's evil, but he's evil and my friend. Mm-hmm. How big does the cause have to be before you'll kill your friends? What about your party? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good line too. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't no good guys in this world. It's yeah. just it's just us and them. The uh, mention of cowboys and Indians is interesting to me because so I read this around the same time as I read uh, the original Casino Royale novel. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll maybe talk about it more if we, when we when we cover that. Whenever that ends up, this whole section yeah, after. He's you know gets beaten up and is little put in the where associate in MI6 comes over and he basically has this whole breakdown not breakdown but like this epiphany that they're all playing cowboys and Indians and, no, and that nothing is nothing really matters and it's you know it's hard to sit tell the good guys from the bad anymore. It's a, it's a pretty well traveled road in spy fiction, <laughs> but darn it if it ain't effective, mm. makes for great drama. Yeah, yeah, so. Shall we get to our ratings? Yes. All right, you want to go first? Okay, so I gave a little bit of thought, and I will mm-hmm. try, I'll, I'll sort of summarize the book and the movie. So the it's, I think this is really good. As I said, mm-hmm. it was one I was looking forward to in a while, for a while. However, the movie is old. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so it's slow, and it's a lot of just people sitting in offices and talking about mm-hmm. abstract concepts. Like, we don't even meet Munt until, like, the last quarter of the movie, but they talk mm-hmm. about him the whole time. And they're like, okay, wait, so we got we got Banks, we got Rolling Stone, we got Fiedler, we got Carlton, we got Ash, we got this guy, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I think, th- I think that hurts it. Hmm. All right. I, will, I will say to audience members that if you're interested in the story, it's not exactly a controversial take to say that the book is better than the movie, but it's true here. Interesting. So All right. I think the story is really good, but going just by the movie, I would give the movie a seven out of ten. All right, and I think I'm going to continue continue the general trend of me my ratings being slightly higher than yours. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight out of ten because I like maybe it's just my personality and my taste, but I 
found no problem with the it being an old movie and having a lot of talking and i thought that it was really well done and really effective and I, you know i haven't seen this movie in a long time and I, it's been yeah maybe 15 years since i've read the book so i forgot i like i didn't remember the exact plot of it so when i that twist came i was like wow you guys had me hook line and sinker and it's great cool i wonder if me reading the books before the movie is hurting my enjoyment of them because i already know the story so maybe. i like already know what's going to happen that may have happened in the hunt for red october as well ah uh, maybe maybe well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are The Spy Fi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to The Spy Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.